Good morning. Uh, last, last week, Pastor Matt challenged us to tell someone how God showed up in your life. I wonder how you did this week. Did you have a chance to tell someone how God showed up for you? You know, if you had a hard time with that this week, maybe you just have a hard time remembering like I do sometimes. Sometimes you just need to hear someone else's story, someone else's story of how God showed up for them. Well, the good news is you can borrow God's words of faithfulness in a song and you can make them your own. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we look into your word and we look at this song of Moses and Miriam, I pray, God, that their words would be our words, that we would sing of your faithfulness and love, how you have uh, been with us in our hard times and you will see us through to the end. God, may these words be encouragement to us and may they uh, tell us more of who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 15 today, Exodus chapter 15, looking at verses 1 through 21. While you're turning there, think about what was your favorite song? I hear that question all the time. Uh, usually it's when I'm setting up some new web account and I have to answer one of those security questions. And I never really know what to put there. I mean, I have too many favorite songs to choose from. I like Andrew Peterson a lot, and uh, his song, The Chasing Song, is one of my favorites. It's, it's a song about all of the uh, saints in the Bible and, and how their stories fit together. Uh, I could listen to the entire Hamilton CD uh, from end to end and sing most of it. Uh, my brother and I used to love to sing um, hymns together. We'd get out the old hymnal from Cedar Valley Bible Church on a Sunday afternoon and uh, see how many hymns we could sing together loud and long. You know, you probably have a favorite song that's coming to your mind or, or maybe a few. There's something about songs that are just integral to the human condition. Every culture, every people group, no matter the age or status or color, everybody connects with music. Oliver Sacks in his book, Musicophilia, says, Music uniquely among the arts is both completely abstract and profoundly emotional. It has no power to represent anything particular or external, but it has a unique power to express inner states or feelings. Music can pierce the heart directly. It needs no mediation. That's why I think music is so powerful, whether you're singing in a car, singing in a choir, or singing with a congregation on a Sunday morning. For instance, how were you feeling this morning when you came in? Uh, maybe you were like me, uh, most Sundays, a little distracted from trying to get here on time, uh, getting out the door. The rush of the morning can kind of weigh you down, so you say your highs and how are you in the lobby and find your way to your seat. Then that first song starts. And everybody stops talking to each other and starts talking together, declaring in the same words, in the same rhythm, to the same God. In that moment of the song, there truly is harmony. The notes go together, there's no more restlessness, no anxiety, it's just music. I think that's the beauty of a song as well. It's powerful and it's mysterious. Oliver Sacks wrote this, uh, Darwin himself was evidently puzzled, as he wrote in The Descent of Man. 
as neither the enjoyment nor the capacity of producing musical notes are faculties of the least use to man. They must be ranked among the most mysterious with which he is endowed. Music made no sense to Darwin, and it's perhaps the most universal experience in all of humanity. This morning we're going to look at one of the oldest songs ever recorded. No, there's no CD in your Bible, but it was written in Exodus chapter 15. Let's read that. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemies. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you, you who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. So as you recall from the past several weeks uh, in this book, Moses and the Israelites have had an amazing number of weeks. They've, uh, they've seen plague after plague befall the Egyptians and, uh, and that proud Pharaoh, each plague growing in intensity and showing Pharaoh that Yahweh is God and that there is no other. Finally, there's that last plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn child. Just as Pharaoh had attempted to destroy Israel by throwing their children in the Nile, now God will deliver Israel by killing the firstborn sons of Egypt. 
And then there's another harrowing rescue. Pharaoh changes his mind, is going to go after them at the Red Sea, and he pursues them there. And again, Yahweh God shows his mighty hand, and he parts the sea so that Israel can walk through on dry ground, while the Egyptians, when they enter, are drowned as they attack. It's an amazing story. And you know, when there's something so amazing that happens, it has to be remembered. And we know one of the best ways to remember something is to sing a song about it. We do that for preschoolers to help them remember things. Again, Oliver Sacks writes, Music can also evoke worlds very different from the personal, remembered worlds of events, people, places we've known. We can experience something in a song Uh, that we didn't experience ourselves. With a song, Israel could remember this event, even though some of them, when they sing it, will have never witnessed it. So the song starts with a chorus. I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, He's hurled into the sea. That chorus kind of summarizes the whole um, song. In fact, at the end of the passage, when Miriam takes uh, her timbrel and goes singing, she says, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. And that kind of captures the whole song she's going to be singing. The chorus really captures here two themes that the songwriter wants us to remember, that Yahweh is highly exalted and that Pharaoh, signified by the horse and the driver, are dead at the bottom of the sea. Verses 2 and 3 begin the highly exalted refrain. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Some of your translations might say, the Lord is my strength and my song. The text is a little unclear here. The NIV uses defense. I've heard people use that God is my power. But look at here how many times the word my is used in verse 2. As Moses is composing this song, he's speaking personally. This is not some far-off concept of God. This is his God. He says, he is my strength, my power, my salvation, my God. I will praise him. I will exalt. You know, one of the great things about a song is you can sing someone else's words with someone else's tune, and they become your words and your tune. You can participate and identify with the writer's words, and they become your words. Moses had participated in one of the most amazing events in human history, and he says that God did this in my strength and my, as my strength and my defense. And as others would sing this for generations to come, they could also proclaim that God is their strength and their defense. And they could reflect on their own experience through his words. I especially like the end of verse 2. My father's God. Not only is this God the God of Moses, but he has been the God from the beginning. Moses recognizes that his experience is personal, but it's not isolated. The God of Moses, of Moses' father, Abraham, uh, his, you know, his grand-grand-grandfather, is the one that met him at the Red Sea. So who is this God? Moses says he's a warrior, and this God has a name, Yahweh. This is the God that revealed himself at the burning bush. 
By naming God, Moses identifies personally. God is not out there, some big impersonal force. No, God has a name. And that God is a God that takes action. He doesn't sit idly by and watch things happen, but he's a warrior that takes action in the lives of his people. Verses 4 through 10 then make up the next section of the song. It's the first verse of the song, if you will. They retell the story of what just happened. And like any song, the language doesn't just give us the facts, but it tells us the feelings and the emotions and the motivations. Pharaoh's army is going to chase and overtake and divide, but God is powerful and His mighty and majestic hand will work. With just His breath, God destroys the enemy. See, songs that tell a story can tell a story in a way that is just lacking from a narrative. Uh, There's a conservation of words in a song. You don't fill it up with all kinds of prose because you've got to sing this, and so you have to think about what words am I going to use. Now, the prose of the story in chapters 13 and 14 are beautiful, don't get me wrong, but what took Moses uh, 31 verses and 889 English words to tell in the previous two chapters, he did in less than a quarter of that time in this song. Yeah, we didn't get all the details of the song. We didn't get all of the insights, but we got insights into emotion with this song. I think that's another powerful part of a song. You know, every week, just just about every week at church anyway, we sing a few songs and we hear a message from God's Word. Both of those are consistent in our service. And if we didn't have both, I don't know, it just wouldn't seem like church. The proclamation of the message is utterly important. The preaching and teaching of God's Word is essential because it clearly lays out the truth that God has for our lives. But I think the songs that we sing are also essential as well. They teach us the truth of God that He has for our lives, but in a different way, in a way that we can connect with differently. You know, I'm so thankful for the committee that decides the flow of our worship service, that picks the songs and and the order and all of that. They thoughtfully pick out the songs for each week so that they work with the service. They think critically about the songs that we sing, not just about the sound, but the words, what we're saying, so we're confident that the words of our mouth in the songs we sing are true and are edifying. I asked Tony this week how many songs we have, and he said, we have a library approaching 350 songs, but about half of those are the ones that we use uh, regularly. As far as songs, we have about 155 that are used uh, actively, and, and 20 of them have been uh, introduced in the last four years. Pretty good stats. It's pretty amazing that collectively as a church, we have, we know, 350 songs that have been skillfully cur- uh, curated to ensure that we're singing the truth of God. 350 ways to sing that God is mighty that Jesus is Savior, that the Spirit is with us, that this is my Father's world, that in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. You know, when you don't have the words yourself to say those things to God, this church has 350 different ways for you to say that with each other. Moving back to the passage, this first stanza of Moses' song teaches the people of Israel that God is the one that did all of these things. Look at all of the, the second person pronouns here. 
your right hand, your majesty. You unleashed your anger. The blast of your nostrils piled up the waters. The song teaches Israel this wasn't some happy coincidence of nature. This was the action of the Lord. It teaches that Israel uh, teaches Israel that Egypt was defeated by God. Look especially at verse 9. Egypt has one idea. I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. See, Egypt thought they were in complete control, but God is in complete control of nature and of humanity. Egypt thought they could bend Israel to their will, but God would use everything in his arsenal, nature itself, to defeat them. This is truly a mighty warrior God. The second stanza of the song begins in verse 12. Stanza 1 looked back at this pivotal event in the history of Israel. The next stanza looks forward to what God will complete in Israel. I think the English translation of the next stanza doesn't quite do justice to what's happening here in the original. You're going to see things like, you will lead, you will guide, you will hear, the nations will tremble. These are in the prophetic perfect tense. So they have the form of a past tense verb, but they're talking about future events. It's so certain that it will inevitably happen that the songwriter is speaking of it as if it has already happened. There is a confidence in speaking this way. This is beyond hope. This is sure. Just as sure that God led them through the sea on dry land, God will lead them into the promised land. People they haven't encountered before, Philistines, Edomites, Moabites, and Canaanites, will tremble and be terrified and melt away. You know, Egypt seemed impossible to defeat, and God defeated them with a breath. God will do that for them as well as they come into this new world. God will do this for Israel, His people, because it says He has redeemed them and bought them. Verse 13 says He redeemed them. Verse 16 says He bought them. I wonder, who did He buy them from? Exodus chapter 2 ends with these words. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. See, redemption started way back with Abraham, bringing him out of Ur of the Chaldees and taking him to the land that would be his inheritance. Redemption continues at this moment when God redeems Israel from slavery and Pharaoh gets his price paid. His price was a watery grave. But that redemption would continue into the future. Psalm 49 says, No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. This psalm says everybody dies, rich or poor, wise or foolish. We're all slaves to death. And there is no price that any person can pay on their own to get around it. But God can pay it. God can redeem the soul from death. And he did that with the death of his own son, Jesus. Moses and Israel looked forward to the day when God would redeem Israel 
through the perfect Messiah, paying the redemption price. We look back to that day when Jesus died on the cross. But all who trust in God's salvation, paid with the blood of the innocent Messiah, are redeemed. Boy, that's something to sing about. This would be one of those songs I think you would shout. Have you ever noticed around here when we get to songs that have to do with the cross or, or the grave or the empty tomb or the promise of eternity, all of a sudden our volume gets a little louder? I notice that when I sit up front here, that I can always hear things get a little louder. Hands go up, voices raise because we have this confidence that when we sing those songs, we are sure that that is happening. That, uh, that God is going to do those amazing things. Israel expressed confidence in God too. And by the last line, Israel is shouting at the top of their lungs, the Lord reigns forever and ever. What an amazing song and what a way to end that song. But what is perhaps most interesting here, most unusual, is that this group is singing this song at all. Isn't it this group that just in the previous chapter we read last week, it said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't, you say, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This same group that in just a few verses after this song that they sing with all their might. So when the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? They're grumbling almost immediately after. Yeah, these people are not perfect. And their hope, though it is sure, is not perfect either. And you know what? Maybe that's the power of a song too. For just a moment, for three or four minutes per song, you can have a real, heartfelt, earnest, true song that you truly believe and that even though you don't always get it right in your life for those few minutes when you sing that song, you truly, truly believe it. You're singing it not just from your mouth, but from your heart. The hope is that over time, those words seep into our hearts, and they do become things that we truly believe, not just at the moment when we sing. But songs are powerful because in that moment they can. Robert Morgan said in his book, on the history of Psalms called Then Sings My Soul. Hymns, and he was speaking of hymns, but this I think applies to songs in general. Hymns help us praise God. They're shafts of brilliant sunlight through the clouds. They provide an almost mystical connection with the endless anthems of praise raising at this very moment before the heavenly throne. They unite the Lord's earthbound church in heavenly harmony. Hymns enable us to pray. Sometimes when we're too weary or worried for words, we can sing uh, George Matheson's great, O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. Or Hudson Taylor's favorite hymn, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Hymns give us a way, he continues, of talking to ourselves, of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. As we do when we sing, be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. They also give us a pulpit for preaching to others, exhorting others to come to Christ just as you are, without one plea. And hymns connect us with generations now gone, 
Each week, millions of Christians in local settings around the world, using hymns composed by believers from every era and branch of Christendom, join voices in united bursts of praise, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their hearts. The power of singing together words of truth, like those found in this passage, are that for the moment... When you can't muster the faith on your own, you have the cloud of witnesses that are singing along with you, the words that rightly declare the majesty of God. Verse 19 is kind of the final chorus of the song. When Pharaoh's horses and chariots, when, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Once again, the reality of the thing is declared. All of this singing is rooted in the reality that God really did do this. Have you ever experienced something so great you kind of have to pinch yourself to see if it's real? That's what I think this last chorus is. Did we really go through that? Did we really just walk through on dry ground? Is Egypt's army really defeated? They're reminding themselves that God worked in human history to bring about a miraculous conclusion. Pharaoh's army is dead in the sea and Israel is safe on dry ground. The epilogue of the song is found in verses 20 and 21. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver He has hurled into the sea. Miriam's kind of like the first radio station, broadcasting the song. Notice that the personal, I will sing, has become the imperative now, sing, as this song is carried around to all of Israel, and it's sung for generations. In fact, this first song of Israel is found again, mentioned in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 15, which says, I saw in heaven another great marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like the sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The Gospel Transformation Study Bible says this, The song of Moses has become the song of the Lamb, because Jesus died as the Passover Lamb, in the new exodus, fulfilling the exodus of Egypt. This new exodus frees not just one nation, but all. So just as Miriam implored the people of her day to sing this song to the Lord, we also can sing this song to the Lord. The same God that delivered Israel from Egypt through the sea is the same God that will deliver us as well. Just as sure as He made water stand up on end, He will make the waves of this world stand on end for you. So if you were writing the third verse of this song, what verse would you contribute to it? 
How would you describe God's faithfulness? Would you sing a verse of how God saw you through a troubled marriage, through storms of depression, through cancer, through the death of a loved one? Would you sing how God's victorious over your sin and shame? How He walked you through the storms of your life to make you into a man or woman of faith? Would you sing of how He delivered you from addiction or from a troubled childhood or from bad choices in life and somehow, by God's grace, you are free? If you can sing those things, then praise the Lord. He has given you some wonderful things that you can that you can sing about and be confident in, that He will do it again. But if you can't sing that song right now, if you can't contribute to that verse, have no fear. He's done it for others, and their song can be your song too. Others have made it through on dry ground and are on the other side of the sea and are singing of the majestic hand of God. Even if you haven't experienced it yet or you're just not experiencing it now, the great power of a song can declare in their words your words. And you can identify with their feelings so that you too can be confident in the God that acts. Israel felt the victory of God and sang this victory song. Christians throughout history have felt the victory of God and sang this victory song. One day the saints around the throne will sing the final victory of God and sing this victory song. So sing to the Lord this song of victory, of redemption from slavery, of hope in a future victory over death itself. Sing to the Lord. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful for the songs that we can sing, songs that are true, songs of how you have worked wonders in the lives of your people and how one day you will work wonders again, how we can look forward to the day of complete redemption, redemption that was started with Abraham, continued through Moses, found its, its uh, price paid in Jesus Christ and is completely consummated in your Uh, kingdom. God, that is a great song. And I pray for my friends here today that can sing that wholeheartedly. I pray, God, that their words would be uh, true and uplifting, that others would hear it and would declare also your praise. And for my friends here today who uh, can't sing that song right now, at least they can't make up their own words because they're not feeling... um, that victory at this moment. I pray, God, that they would grasp onto the words of the songs of others, and they would know that just as God brought Israel through the Red Sea, He will bring us through as well. And just as there is sure hope that God will complete bringing the Israelites into the promised land, He will bring us into His kingdom as well. God, for my friends here today who have no idea what this song is about, they, they don't know who this Jesus is and they don't know why they would sing about Him. It sounds like karaoke on a Sunday morning and they don't know what's going on. I pray, God, that You would uh, remind them of these songs as well, that they would hear that Jesus is our King, that we can find our rest in Him. 
that He is majestic and worthy and glorious. That they would, um, they would want to know more about this Jesus that we sing about. And that they would turn in faith to Him. God, may this song be on our lips. And may we praise You forever. Amen.